Hey, if you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Cause and Effect. We've been pushing our church further and further towards mission and, and being missional, and so we continue that today. So as we begin, I invite you just to pray, and we'll, we'll dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, this morning as we've worshipped you through song, and, and I know that your ears are tingling with the beauty, beautiful voices and the, the strings as well, and so God, may our ears tingle with your voice as you speak to us today. May you challenge our church. In Jesus' name, amen. There have been so many times, many, 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 many times where I have done something in life that has been a complete disaster. And after I'm done, I think, what were you thinking? I mean, we could spend all morning talking about these stories. In fact, uh, I wanted to share this morning about the time where I overflowed the baptistry Uh, Not in this sanctuary, but in another church so bad that the entire sanctuary floor was covered in two inches of water. This guy right here, I did it. What were you thinking? But the story I'm choosing to share with you is one that I've started many years ago, or not many years ago, but in the last couple years, and it's a story about this car right here. Here's a picture of it. That car right there. Uh, If you remember the story, uh, I stopped at Taco Bell in Auburn, Washington when I was a dean out there, and uh, the guy at Taco Bell ended up giving me this car for free and I turned that car into an engagement ring to marry my wife. Pretty smooth, right? Need to raise money, want to get married? Get somebody to give you a car. It works out every time. He gave me this car, and so I spent the better part of a year restoring it to look like this. There it is. The silver bullet. Look at that bad boy. Chick magnet, if I ever saw one. Look at that thing. But here's the rest of the story that you don't know. Um, I had this car, I'd finished restoring it, had several months before I was going to leave from Auburn and come back to the south, and I had to sell this thing. And there was one kid on campus, he was 15 years old, he had a birthday coming up in just a couple months, and when he saw the silver bullet, he thought, I want that thing. And so he talked to me, we did test drives together, his parents came, his sister came, he loved this thing. They loved it too, because it was low price, It was low risk, and it was very, very low speed. (laughs) That car does not go very fast at all. And so as as they looked it over and they test drove it, they said, we want to buy this thing. And so the plan was for the next day that they would come with cash and we would do the deal. Now I thought to myself, this guy's getting his very first car ever. I want to make sure it's a good experience for him. So there was two things that I wanted to do between that day and the next day. The first one was adjust the brakes so that they were good and tight because uh, even though it can't go fast, you still have to stop. And then the other thing I wanted to do was fill the tank with gas. Because, you, you, you know, the 16-year-old gets his first car, you got to have a full tank of gas to drive somewhere. And so I started working on adjusting the brakes. Now, some of you may be really bored at the next three minutes. Others others of you may resonate very deeply. But if you've ever tried to adjust the brakes on an old car, it is a pain in the rear end. It is awful. Um, In fact, this car was unique because I had uh, aftermarket wheels on it. And when you adjust the drum brakes on an old car, you actually have to take a flathead screwdriver or the official tool, which is called a brake spoon, and you stick it through the brake drum, through, there's a little hole, you stick it in there, there's a gear inside, and you work the gear, rotating the gear, which pushes the brake shoes out towards the brake drum. Now, because I had these aftermarket wheels, it wasn't just a simple job of adjusting that gear. Here was the process. Jack the car up, undo the lug nuts, pull the wheel off adjust a little bit, 
put the wheel back on, lower the car, drive 30 feet, pressing the brakes to see if it's adjusted, jack the car back up, take the same wheel off, adjust a little bit, put the wheel back on, drop the car, drive 30 feet, over and over and over again, all four corners of the car. It was awful and it took a long, long time. And so as it was taking a while, I took a shortcut. The shortcut was pretty simple. Instead of putting all five lug nuts back on, I only put three back on. And instead of cranking them tight, I just hand tightened them. I mean, I'm driving 30 feet, guys. Like, it's not a big deal. Nothing's going to happen. So uh, hours later, after I had done all the tightening of the brakes, I decided to go get gas in this car. Now, two of the RAs were seniors, Kevin and Preston, great guys, and they said, Dean Smith, we want to go with you. I said, come on. So they got in this this car, the three of us rolling down Main Street, Auburn, Washington, in a Volkswagen Beetle at top speed, 35 miles an hour. (laughs) Cruising along, when I feel the car start to kind of bump and rumble a little bit, especially that front left corner, and as the, the bouncing gets a little bit more, the car slams on the ground and starts sliding and skidding across the road. I look out the front window of my car and I see the front left driver's side tire and wheel go rolling ahead. The car finally stopped skidding around. I opened the door, ran down the middle of the road like a crazy man, trying to catch the wheel and tire that were out in front of me. I get the wheel and tire, bring it back. A drunk guy in his truck had parked behind us. The four of us lifted the car by ourselves, put the wheel back on, and as we were driving home, I thought, what were you thinking? What a mistake. What was in your mind, Matt? This morning, as we think about mission, as we listen to the words of Jesus, I I hope that you will ask that same question. What are you thinking? What's in your mind? What is your focus? What's your mission? Do you have the mind of Christ in you? Do you exist to cause and effect? If you've got your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We've been spending a lot of time in the New Testament, which I love the New Testament. Mark chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you. It's, uh, you can follow along on page 714, where we get to see Jesus' words. And I'll give you some context while you're turning there. Mark chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark chapter 8. Here's some context. Jesus and his disciples have been uh, ministering all throughout the towns of Caesarea Philippi. They're going to town to town, ministering to people, teaching, preaching, healing. You know the whole thing. And at one time, Jesus is very intense with Peter. He's very close to his disciples. He's been ministering to them too. And he asks Peter this one question. He asks the question to Peter, Who do you think I am? And Peter surprises Jesus with his answer because normally Peter's answer would be very self-centered and self-focused and and all about himself and human ideas. But Peter responds by saying, I know who you are. You are Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is a little bit shocked. This is out of the ordinary. We get into this next passage in verse 31, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, and this is what happens. See if you can see what is going on in Peter's head. Mark 8, 31 says this. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is saying, 
I'm here on a mission. I'm going to die for all humanity. Verse 32, Jesus spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus has just told everyone that he's going to die for all humanity, and it's like Peter comes alongside him, puts his arm around his shoulder, and pulls him in tight. It's like he says, bro, you don't have to die. You want to be the king? Just keep being you. You be you. The people love you. And if you just stay who you are, they'll make you king. You don't have to die. Here's what happens. Verse 33. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How would you like to be called Satan by Jesus? Jesus sees Peter and he sees that he, what's in his mind and what's in his heart. It's all human stuff. It's selfish stuff. Just like James and John last week, they, they can't see the, the spiritual kingdom. All they can see is their own power and authority that they might gain because of, of what Jesus would do. Jesus basically comes alongside Peter and says, bro, what are you thinking? You're not thinking about the good picture. You're thinking about yourself. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about them. And he says, I have to die in order to save them. It's my purpose to come and save others. In fact, Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, he says this. He declares his purpose. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's it. Jesus came for one reason and one purpose only, to glorify his Father by showing his love to us by dying for us. His purpose is only and always to seek and save the lost, not to gain anything, but to serve and save people. And Jesus, as he sees the human side of Peter, he speaks to him and to you and me as well. Verses 34 through 38, here's what it says. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And all those although those words may hit home for some of you in kind of a pointed way, I think Jesus is just being super real about the mission. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not making it sound like it's super easy. In fact, I feel like he's making it sound like it is. It's hard. He says you've got to pick up your cross. That's the, the worst kind of death possible. He says pick up your cross daily and follow me. I mean, in our rat race life that we live where everything revolves around our jobs, we struggle to have the mind of Jesus. It's incredibly difficult for us to get out of our selfishness and to live in other-centeredness. It's so hard to be a part of the mission when our mind is so fixed on human things. It's hard to share in the mind of Christ. In 1987, when I was four years old, I don't remember this at all, but you probably do as well. When I was four years old, a man named Ben Carson, here's a picture of him, did one of the most unbelievable surgeries ever performed, where he separated conjoined twins. 
He's right there in that picture. He's looking at a model that was created of these two skulls that were connected together. And he studied it and he, got, he, he did research and he had others look at it from different angles. This is before technology was awesome and you could, you know, do computer-generated models. So he's just analyzing this and studying it. The trickiest part of the surgery was, and I'm going to read this, was to separate the sagittal superior sinus vein, which drains blood from the brain as well as cerebrospinal fluid. These two twins are joined at the head. They share the same blood. They share the same vein that connects them together. It's almost like their minds are connected, like they're, they share the same mind. And after 22 hours of surgery, where Ben Carson, Dr. Carson, slows down their body so much that he, he's able to basically stop their hearts momentarily to, to cu cut this vein and reattach it in a different way, the surgery is successful. Oh, how I want to share the mind of Christ. Oh, how I'd love for my mind to be conjoined with the mind of Christ. I just desire to share the purpose of Jesus, to seek and save the lost. You know, Paul describes the mind of Christ. He, he says this in Philippians. Here's, here it is. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. He says, this is what Jesus' mind looks like who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the mind of Jesus. He considered it not his mission to be the king of kings in heaven, but he became a servant here on earth because he exists to seek and save the lost. Do you share that mind? Are you devoted to causing an effect? Oh, how I dream that our church, the Forest Lake Church, lives and breathes and exists to have that same mind of Christ, that we exist to seek and save the lost. It's his mission, and he's called us to be a part of it. But guess what? It's already happening. The last 10 days or so have been pretty, pretty emotional for me. It's kind of been an up and down roller coaster a bit because over the last 10 or 14 days, something like that, I've heard 10 different stories from people in our church that are thinking like Jesus thinks, that have the mind of Christ in them, that are living on his mission. Just on Monday, I was down at Orlando South, uh, Advent Health South, right down, downtown Orlando, visiting Pastor Tim and Cherie. By the way, keep Pastor Tim in your prayers for sure. And as I was there, I was sharing with Pastor Tim what's happening in our church, and, and both he and I start crying. Uh, he, 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 he said, this eye is crying because I'm sick. He said, this eye is crying because I, I have real tears here. And as we stood there next to each other, as he was on the bed and I stood next to him, we just cried in rejoicing of what God is doing here in our church. Ten different stories. Would you like to hear them? Would you like to hear them? Okay, I'm glad. I thought I might have closing prayer. In fact, the first one, it's not even in my notes. It happened this morning. I came in the back, door, back doors of the church, and one of our deacons who's on duty was standing there wearing his lanyard, and he said, Pastor Matt, can ordained deacons baptize people? And I said, this is an awesome question. I said, according to the church manual, no, but if you want my opinion, we all should be baptizing people. 
And he, he told me the rest of the story. He's been studying with somebody, working with them, and, and he wants to be a part of that baptism. I said, man, when you're ready, let's do it. You be in the tank with me. Let's do it together. You be a part of this. That's him on the mission. He's thinking like Jesus. Here's another one. Let me share a bunch here. Uh, last Sabbath, after church, I'm standing in the, the narthex there. Uh, people are coming around. I'm shaking hands. Julie Wall comes up to me. I don't know if you know Julie. She says, Pastor Matt, I have a friend. She, uh, she's been raised Catholic, but she's a friend of mine. We have this relationship, and, and she's been asking me questions about God and understanding who he is. Do you have a book that you could give me or that you could recommend to me that I can give to her that will help describe God in, in a picture that she can understand? And so she's on the mission. You, you hear it? She's thinking like Jesus is thinking. She has the mind of Christ in her. Short story. Here's another one. Uh, Monday, this last week, Monday, I get a text message from Mike Freeland. He says, Pastor Matt, I got a neighbor. This neighbor is Muslim. His wife is Iranian. And they have been asking questions about God. They know that we're Seventh-day Adventist Christians. They've been asking about us and about our church. Do you have a book? Same question. Is there a way I can connect with them? By the way, on all these stories, none of them are saying, Pastor Matt, would you please do this for me? You get paid to do this. Every one of these people are saying, let me do it. How can I do it better? Mike, he says, I want to tell my friends about Jesus, my neighbors. I want to bring them to church. He's got the mind of Christ in him. He's thinking like Jesus is thinking. Here's another one. This past Sunday at the FLA Food Festival, which was delicious, by the way. I don't know what kind of uh, food you guys ate. I went straight to America and got a Big Frank. Very adventurous in my food. Got our food there. As I'm, get, as I'm eating, one of our elders, Maria Touchard, comes up to me, and she says, Pastor Matt, I want to tell you this story. She said, I have a co-worker uh, that I work with, and she is a nun, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E, not affiliated or associated with religion or spirituality or God or the church, none of that, not connected whatsoever. And she said, I've been building this friendship and relationship with this co-worker for a long time. She has an interview at another place, and so I, I seized that moment to say, how can I pray for you? And this coworker was shocked because no one has ever asked to pray for her. Later on that day, this coworker writes on Facebook, I'm going to eat with my wholesome friend. That word wholesome should mean a lot. She's not just a friend. Now Maria is a picture of God and a connection with a God that this person doesn't even know because she has the mind of Christ in her because she's thinking like Jesus is thinking. Are you with me so far? Let's keep going. More stories. Here's another one. Ah, uh, this is a couple months old. John Brownlow, he, he caught me outside church one day. He said, Pastor Matt, he said, I've been working with a leadership coach. Uh, at, at my job, we're all assigned different coaches. And so he's been working with this leadership coach. And this coach has been asking him deep spiritual questions such as, what happens to people when they die? And so John says, Pastor Matt, are there some studies or are there some guides? Or is there anything that I can work with her to help her know Jesus better? See, he's, he's got the mind of Christ in him to seek and save the lost. He's thinking like Jesus is thinking. Here's another one. Uh, just, uh, just last week, last Sabbath, uh, Joey Figueroa caught me. He said, Pastor Matt, I just got back from a mission trip to Kenya. I got to see lions and, and wildebeest and all sorts of crazy animals. But I also had the opportunity to give my testimony to the people that were there. And he said, because I shared about how Jesus is in my life and my heart, two people want to b do Bible studies with me. He was like, Pastor Matt, I've never given a Bible study. 
I don't even know how to do this. Are there some studies or some guides or what can you give me to do this? He's got the mind of Christ in him. He's thinking like Jesus is thinking. Here's another one. Not too long ago, one of our elders named Tracy Mastrapa, she uh, was doing her Sunday morning run. She lives in the neighborhood across the street from my neighborhood. And so she was running in my neighborhood on a Sunday morning. I was out in the yard doing something. And so she stopped and we began to talk. And she said, Pastor Matt, I want you to pray for two of my coworkers. They both had the same name, if I recall, right? And, and she was sharing about how she's built this relationship with them and how she needs prayer over them because the devil's fighting them. In fact, she texted me this morning. She said, pray for them. It's been a really tough week. She's got the mind of Christ in her. She's thinking like Jesus is thinking. Here's another one. Ah, I won't tell you the name of this person. They came up to me last Sabbath, almost in tears. They said, Pastor Matt, I have been praying for one of my relatives for a very long time. They are far from God. They don't want to do anything with God. She said, how do you share Jesus with someone that doesn't want to hear about Jesus? And I said, this is a tough one, and I think the only way you can do that is just by loving on them as Jesus would love. And as they see your love, it's coming from Jesus too. She's got the mind of Christ in her. She's thinking like Jesus is thinking. Here's another one. Ah, on Monday, this past week, I got a phone call. One of our church members, uh, she puts a prayer card in almost every week. We read it in staff meeting almost every week and pray for this family. She's been praying for her spouse to find Jesus for a long, long time. She tells this story that isn't connected to her spouse. She said this last week she was at a store and as she walked into the store, she sees a homeless man, it looks like a homeless man on the side. And she's thinking, I have no cash. There's nothing I can give him. I don't ever have cash. And she walks into the store. As she comes out of the store, she sees this man and she goes up to him and she says, hey, uh, I don't have any cash, but can I give you a hug? And he says, would you pray for me? Now this person never prays out loud, never in public, but she has to now, right? And so she pauses and she has a prayer over this man's life and gives a blessing to him. And when she opens her eyes, he's crying. He's, he, it's a powerful moment in his life. She says, let me, let me just see if I have anything. And so she opens her pocketbook. There's $30 in there. She says, Pastor Matt, I don't know where that money came from. She gives all $30 to him, and with tears in his eyes, he says, you just gave me my bus ticket home. She's got the mind of Christ in her. She's thinking like Jesus thinks. Here's the last one for you. Two Tuesdays ago, our pastoral staff put together a haystack lunch for one of the incredible ministries in our church called Prayers and Squares. It's our quilt ministry. Um, our whole church is mourning the loss of Lee Leewag. What an incredible woman of faith. But Prayers and Squares specifically really is mourning her because she was so foundational in that, that ministry. And so the pastor said, let's go hang out with these, this incredible group of people and just, just pray and think and, and, and socialize a bit. And so as we were there, I got my haystack and I sat down next to this lady. Here's a picture of her. This is Miss Priscilla. She is fantastic. If you don't know her, you're missing out. Uh, Priscilla, I don't know if you're watching online, but I love you. And uh, she's just awesome. And as we sat and ate haystacks together, she told me about what she's doing or what she's desiring to do. She loves prayer walking in her neighborhood. And I don't know how she gets around, if it's by foot or if it's on a scooter or if it's on a golf cart or if it's in a car, but she goes and she prays for her neighbors. The marriages, the families, the children, the drama, the finances, you name it. She's got the mind of Christ. She's thinking like Jesus thinks. You know, seeing our church on the move is one of the most powerful things I can ever witness. 
watching God use you for his kingdom and his mission is overwhelming. It's the church in action. It's living the gospel. It's the church on the move. It's God and humans coming together for one purpose, and it's his purpose. And I believe God's put you in your contexts, your jobs, your neighborhoods, your friendships, your relationships, whatever it is, for that purpose to seek and save the lost. And I also believe this. I also believe God's put our church right here in Apopka for a certain reason as well. If you were to go on Google Maps and you were to draw a one-mile radius around our church, this is what it would look like. At Stars, obviously, our church. If you can kind of see on this map, the bottom left of the circle barely touches Bear Lake. That left side is past Hunt Club Road. You get Publix in there. The top of it, you get Sand Lake Road. You've got fleeces in there. Uh, to the far right of the circle, you've got, it, our circle basically goes to home goods and coals over there. One mile. I just picked one mile. Inside this one mile, here, go ahead to the next slide, is about 4,000 homes and about 300 businesses. That's a lot of different people there. And as I think about this one mile radius around our church, I wonder about the people that are in there. And I wonder how could we cause an effect in their lives? How could we make a difference? How could we seek and save those that are in this circle? I've got some ideas. I don't know, you've got many ideas. Your ideas are better than mine. But what would it look like if we created a center of influence right here, like right on our campus? Maybe there's GED classes or ESL classes. Or what if we started an AA group, a chapter right here, or an SAA group? Wouldn't that be cool? People would know this is the place where Jesus exists, where I can come judgment-free and meet Jesus there. Or, or what if we just capitalize on what the church is already doing? And we, 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 maybe we blast this out with billboards, or maybe we mobilized the church and we went door to door and we gave out just little cards that said, hey, our church exists for you. We've got parenting classes. We've got uh, single parenting classes. We've got divorce care, divorce care for kids. We've got grief share. Uh, we've got Alzheimer's groups. We've got anxiety groups. But our church exists for you. Or what about this? What if we just focused everything that we did in one mile? Uh, the restaurants, maybe you go out to eat and you say, where, where can I eat in the one mile? Thank the Lord TJ Flats is in the one mile. You know what I'm saying? <sighs> what if every time you went shopping, you did it in the one mile? And every, and every one of us, when we checked out and we paid for our stuff, we said, hey, I'm from the Forest Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I want you to know that my church loves you because you're so close to our church. We care about you. What would that do? What kind of a, an effect would we cause? Now, there's a million ideas about how to cause an effect, and whether that's in the one-mile radius around our church, or whether that's you in your own context, in your own neighborhoods, in your own relationships, in your own groups, I believe God will use you to make an impact for Him, and we will cause an effect. Here's the, here's the end. I know it's intimidating to think about this stuff, so I'm going to use the words of Jesus to give you encouragement with these two texts. The first one's in Matthew chapter 19. Here's what it says. Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus says in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he says, therefore, Forest Lake Church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says, and surely Forest Lake, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let me pray for you, church. God, how powerful it is to see your church on the move. Thank you, God, for inviting us on your mission. May we cause an effect because you are working in us. God, we love you. We can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.